The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Colossians 1, 3-8 We always thank God, the Father of our love, Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the of all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this you have heard before the in the word of the truth the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and the truth just as you learn it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ of your behalf and has made known to us you, you loved in the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank God. Thank you, brother. Now you can keep that mic. You can keep that mic, brother. Hold on to that. <laughs> he was literally going to keep on to it. That's good. Uh, praise God, family. Praise God, family. Praise God. Um, we are, it is so good to be in the house of the Lord, as I always say. And I think it's important for us to know what it means for us when we come together. We are making a proclamation that we are the family of God and that we stand on that solid foundation. As much as we've been singing already, I hope you don't feel as if the sermon is just now starting. You've heard me say this before. Throughout an entire sermon series, I mean, throughout an entire worship service, you are being preached to by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through song, through prayer, through the call to worship, um, you in every element, you're being called into it. And so now as we, we look into God's word and dissect it, don't stop worshiping. Amen? So that just means just talk back to a brother. <clears throat> um, I just want to welcome back Bishop Reeves. Uh, he's babysitting all of the grandkids in the world of America. So he, he and Rachel, uh, I, he, he only, Rachel, he don't even act like you helping him. He take all the credit. He take all the credit. But he went to see Chris, um, our dear brother. Some of y'all may not know who Chris Davis is, but he was a pastor here and is now in San Francisco and doing a tremendous job. And thank God for the ministry that Rachel and Richard did up there with ministering to those people. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> we are going to continue our series through the book of Colossians. Many of you are just joining us this morning. And so let me give you a brief overview of what we talked about and opening up last week. As we, going in, as we are going into Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, I want you to know that we're still dealing with the same context. Nothing has changed. Paul is still writing to the same people. And these people have been challenged and are being challenged by the Colossian heresies, the philosophies, and even um, those, uh, the um, elemental spirits that are challenging their doctrine of belief. And I showed y'all a picture last week of how 
these small home ancient synagogue, what that looked like, and that there are four small churches that are planted by Epaphras. And as, as he is doing this work, what Paul, the purpose of writing this letter is to make sure that Christians are fortified, that believers are fortified by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they do not waver from what they believe, but they hold firm in the midst of adversity. Amen, somebody. So now when we look at what we're talking about this morning, we're looking at the aspect in which Paul is being incredibly thankful for the Colossian people. And he is also referencing what they believe in in terms of the word of truth, uh, what they believe in terms of how God is bearing fruit and increasing or growing among them, and how the word has come not only to them but to the world. And so as you see this, you see that God is working among them and Paul is excited about what God is doing. But when you think about fruitfulness throughout the Bible, oftentimes it's describing a Christian, a godly Christian, who is doing something oftentimes, right? Is that right? I want to challenge that thought by what Harry Nowen says in a book called Life Signs, which provides the challenging understanding of fruitfulness. He says this, living with Living with handicapped people, I realize how success-oriented I am. Anybody in here success-oriented? Just tell the truth, shame the devil. Living with handicapped people, I realize how success-oriented I am. Living with men and women who cannot compete in the worlds of business, industry, sports, or academics, but for whom dressing, walking, speaking, eating, drinking, and playing are the main quote-unquote accomplishments is extremely frustrating for me. This is Henry Nowen speaking. And he says, I may have come to the theoretical insight that being is more important than doing. I'm going to read that again. I may have come to the theoretical insight that being is more important than doing. But when asked to, be, to just be with people who can do very little, I realize how far I am from the realization of that insight. From the realization of that insight. Some of us might be productive and others not but we are all called to bear fruit. That's the challenge. We're all called to bear fruit. Fruitfulness is, a true equal, is the true quality of love. And I might add, as Paul is saying here, faith and hope. Let me pray for us before we dive more into God's word. Father, we love you. And we thank you for how you remind us of what a true Christian is and what a true Christian should be. I pray, Jesus, that your word will be used to encourage your people. Hide me beneath your cross. Uh, allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer, all God's people said together. Amen. And we want to welcome Mama Christmas as well. as she has made her trek all the way from Gary, Indiana. Memphis is now her home. Amen. Some of us might be productive and others not. 
But we are all called to bear fruit. Fruitfulness is a key indicator of a productive Christian. But, the, but it does not mean doing Christian. Key, fruitfulness is a key indicator of a productive Christian. But it does not mean a doing Christian. I know many of you may be conflicted with that statement, but I must try to have you disassociate the idea that being means doing. That being means doing. And the reason that we wrestle with that oftentimes is because we find our identity in the doing. We find our identity in how much we produce instead of finding our, our, our identity in who we are to be in. The tension that Henry now lays before us should help us expand our understanding of fruitfulness. If I want you to walk away with one phrase, one sentence, as we are talking about this in, through this entire sermon series, I asked you last week to think about what reigns supreme in your life. It should be Christ alone, but what is it? And, but we're saying that Christ alone is the very thing, but we submit to what is supreme in our lives. Christ alone should be the very thing, but we submit to what is supreme in our lives. But here, I want you to understand this, that a fruitful Christian is a rooted Christian, which then means we produce what is supreme in our lives. But a rootless Christian is a fruitless Christian, which then shows the evidence of what is supreme in our lives. This is what I believe that Paul helps us wrestle with because when we look at this, we have two points this morning. It is verses 3 through 5a where a fruitful Christian is, must be and not do. A fruitful Christian must be and not do. And then two, a fruitful Christian grows in who and uh, truth. A fruitful Christian grows in truth. And that isn't the fact of you to think who you know who you know. But let's go to the first point. And as we go to the first point, let me expand on what Henry Nouwen was thinking. Think about the fact of if, if our church was a church where Henry Nouwen described people who struggled because of disabilities with putting their clothes on, struggled with their disabilities with speaking or walking. Many of us take for granted our capabilities. In taking for granted our capabilities, oftentimes it's easy to walk in this place and not see your deep brokenness, your deep depravity. The reason being is because you feel as if I have, I'm hiding everything because I seem to be a capable person. But we know that's not true. We are all struggling and wrestling in the day-to-day -day life, but we must do it with thankfulness. I want you to see in verse 3 how Paul starts this whole thing off. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. When you stop there, I want you to see that Paul isn't just giving fluff. This is not just another introduction. We have to take this with the weight of all of Scripture that when he says always, he means always because what he is demonstrating is the fact that he is being in Christ. Meanwhile, Paul is captive in prison. What can Paul do besides write 
and do push-ups and talk to Timothy. I don't know, sometimes my, my imagination stretches as I look at him being in that Roman prison and it's, it's a bottom, it's a hole, and they put him down in that hole. I just see I, Paul just out there pumping out, you know, doing push-ups, doing pull-ups. You know, he just now pumping the iron, getting swole. Send me a letter. Say, P, get your papers. I'm saying that with Paul, some of y'all, that, that, that went beyond. But what I'm saying is that Paul is demonstrating the fact that he's expressing a great deep sense of gratitude for the work of God amongst the people of God. But it's not the fact that Paul is out there doing the work. It's Epaphras that has planted these churches. But meanwhile, Paul is wrestling deeply with all of the criticism. And as he has said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 through 11, the deadly peril that is, by him, that is coming uh, about him. Death is imminent. He is in trouble. He is being beaten. He is broken. In fact, won't you just read with me briefly uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I think it is very uh, powerful what we see Paul is saying. Starting at verse 3, he says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us, get this, who comforts us in all our afflictions, not some of our afflictions, in all of our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are, who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I just want you to scroll down just a little bit. I'm not going to read all of them because it's going to take a little bit. And I'm looking at my time. When you look at verse 7, it says, our hope. I want you to underline that if you just got your Bible by. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And then look at verse 11. He says, you also must help us by prayer. Paul's, Paul's asking for prayer because he knows what he's going through. But then he says this, which he demonstrates right here in, in verse 3 of Colossians. He says this, so that, you, that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul, that's exactly what you see Paul saying. We are thanking God for the report of what's happening in, amongst the people in Colossae. And as we're being thankful, uh, there is a deep sense that the trauma, the, the hardship that he is enduring actually gives him the ability to preach to himself. The trauma, the hardship, even the grief, because he probably seen some homies pass away, right? He probably seen some friends, some family that just didn't make it, some brothers and sisters that were, that were walking with him, and they, they were lost in another prison. They were taken captive or killed. And what Paul is saying is, I know that I have to give thanks always and be in prayer always because this is a lived experience for me. I'm not talking about something that is distant, but I'm talking about something that is imminent. Now, there's something that Paul gives them, and that's comfort and joy in his words. And he's knowing that, the, that giving thanks and praying on their behalf is because he's, he's received the, the, the reports. But then there's also this love for the saints. And then a knowing of an unshakable hope is stored up in heaven. And it is proof that God is doing a work amongst the people of God. 
I, I, I want you to know that this is a clear distinction. This is a clear distinction from a being and a doing. And Paul gives us that. His in Christ statement is an in Christness that allows him to have a security that he knows who he is. How many of y'all just this week have been challenged by demons, co-workers, family, friends, whoever, because it is challenged on who you are. But you feel like, God, I'm doing what you told me to do. Have you ever questioned what you're doing because of who you know? I want you to ask the question, as long as I'm being anything that I'm doing, the results aren't me. It is because of who I'm in. That's the fundamental understanding of which I believe Paul helps us when we look at faith, love, and hope that's known at this triad found in Paul's writings. And it's an evidence, it's evidence of fruitful Christians. Faith in Christ, beloved, faith in Christ is not something that comes natural to us. Faith in Christ is a growing element in our life. And that this faith, remember Peter, I'll give you this example. Remember Peter, he is the same individual who gives the gospel in, in the chapter of Acts, Acts chapter 3. He gives this great understanding of the gospel, but then he's the same person that struggles with food regulations, that struggles with drinking laws, that struggles with cultural distinctions. He's the same person that says that you are justified in Christ and in Christ alone. But he's saying, wait a minute, you can't eat that pork. Put the ribs down. Ham hog. Hog mog. Pig feet. Oh, please don't eat pig feet. But he is saying and he is captivated by what, the, what, what Jesus said. It's not what you eat that defiles the man. It's the heart of the Christian. Beloved, I want you to understand that what he is saying is your assurance of salvation doesn't come from a work that you, from a faith that you work for. But it begins with the work that is in your heart from, the, from being a Christian that is in Christ. And what you do in a growing awareness of being in Christ is you know his presence, you know his grace, and you understand spirituality. You know his presence, you know his grace, and you understand spirituality. Some of us don't understand what it means to have a spirit of discernment. Some of us don't understand when we read Paul talking about spiritual wisdom as if there is, uh, there is something greater than, something that, than the natural eye that gives you the ability to see something other that is supernatural. Understand something supernatural. Oftentimes, when we understand spirituality, we put it in the context of simply doing. And what God is saying is that when we are in spaces like this, if you are a maturing and growing Christian, you know the presence of God because you're with the people of God. You know the presence of God because you are in contact with the people of God. Some of y'all are like, what, what, what does that mean? I can't, I can't, like, is that only when I'm not in my prayer closet? In my lonesome? Is that only when I'm doing my, my personal me and Jesus time? No. Experiencing grace comes from God, a vertical relationship, but then also experiencing grace comes through one another, a horizontal relationship. That if I am able to know that God forgiven, has forgiven me for my sin, what gives me the right not to forgive my brothers and sisters who for, who've actually offended me? 
There is a close understanding, not even close, a, mere, a, a marrying of the idea that when I am forgiven, I forgive others because of my deep sense of forgiveness. My deep sense of knowing what it means to come to the cross. A faithless Christian, one that is a faithless one, it's almost like not having, if you, ever, you ever been in the ocean? Anybody ever swim in the ocean? I hope, uh, you, I'm, I'm talking like, I'm talking deep blue sea. I'm talking Mariana Trench. You know, where you see in a well, he coming up, Sister Christmas, okay, 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 I'm just making sure. I'm just, woo, I'm just making sure. I haven't done it. I don't want to do it. I almost drowned once upon a time. I'll tell y'all this story another time. Just in the Gulf of Mexico. But just think about the fact that being in the water and not understanding the depth. Oftentimes, we treat God at the surface and not knowing the depth. Our faith in Christ requires us to know God in a deeper sense because he's the foundation and our faith is not bottomless. It's secure. So you can't build your life on your retirement plan. You, you can't build your life on mom and dad having that 529 plan. You, you can't build your life on life insurance. Or making sure that you've done everything to put all of your ducks in a row because you've been listening to the latest financial guru. You can't even have your classroom teachers be the best or have it without kids, without problems. That, that is impossible. You want to exist in where there is trouble because you are a Christian with faith and you have a foundation that gives you security to know that no matter what child walks in my classroom, what happens in my life, I am standing on a firm foundation and we have an endless hallelujah that allows us to persist through life. Beloved, it is vital, vital to, for us to understand our deep need of Christ because in understanding our deep need of Christ, it helps us to know how to plead to God, how to pray to God. Have you ever felt empty? You're going to work. You probably got a good job. You may not have the best job, but you just feel empty. You feel like there's something more. And what that more is, is, is this idea that you need to, to go to God and just be with God and not go to God and try to earn from God. It is, it is this idea that is difficult for us as Christians because sometimes we bargain with him. God, if, if you just let this vision come in my life, then I'll do X, Y, and Z. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I don't sleep with her no more. As long as, God, you just help me get to this next phase in my life. Lord, if you just help me get to the next phase, then I promise I'll stop smoking weed. Lord, if you just help me get to this next phase, I promise I won't drink as much. I won't try to, to, be, to, to, to always turn a bottle back so many times. God, if you, just, if you just help me, if, you, if I can just earn some of your grace and just put it in some of this bucket, then, Lord, what, what, it, what it'll do is it'll give me a deep connection. But can I tell you something? The guilt and the weight that you feel can never give you rest. Only being in Christ can. 
Do you see the idea of what you're trying to do versus in who you're trying to be in? He allows you to be productive, saints. So we struggle with this because of work-based righteousness. We struggle with this because this idea of feeling guilty, feeling yucky, feeling disgusting. We feel obligated to prove, but brothers and sisters, that know that the only thing you need to come to Christ in faith saying is, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless to thee I look for grace. Nothing. Nothing that you can contribute. Once you make this connection between your guilt, it does not outweigh God's grace. You will shift in your faith. I guarantee it. Once you make the connection that your guilt does not outweigh God's grace, you will have a deeper faith. I guarantee it. Will you believe in Christ? Or do you not believe in Christ? And what is that doing that you're trying to do? But let's move on to the love for the saints. When we look at John 13, 34 through 35, he reminds us that this new command, Jesus, him and I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, get this, all people will know, all people will know, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have Love, 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 love for one another. Some of y'all are like, why, why, why is Paul talking about love for the saints? He, in verse 4, since I heard of your faith. I've been praying. I've always been giving thanks to God. Oh, my God. Lord, I hear their faith from the reports, and I always give thanks for their faith and their love for all the saints. This love is an unconditional love. It is clearly connected to the faith that we have in Christ. And people who know this love that are in Christ will love one another, but people will know that we love one another and who we are. That, like the way that I love you, people will know that who, I just want to make it, I, I think the Bible makes it that, cl that clear. The beloved, we shouldn't struggle with loving one, one another in the sense in which God has called us to love all the saints. Yes, there's going to be some difficult people. Have you ever loved difficult people? You ever loved some people that you're like, oh my gosh, you're going to keep telling me to love them? Yes, because God loves you. Deep sense of, your, of who you are and your brokenness. But I don't want to stop there. I think Paul makes a, deep, a deeper connection to this unconditional love because of what this community is, what this beloved community is, where there's uncommon, unlikely, and uh, unchained commonalities that have come due to the grace of knowing Jesus Christ. But there are distinctions, Jew, Greek, slave, free, scathing, barbarian, Colossians chapter 3. Y'all remember, I did not try to rhyme with that, but I used to rap a long time ago. But um, no, but in chapter 3, you see that. All of these people who are coming together that are in relationship together in the ancient world, that was not even knowable. It was N.T. Wright who makes it clear that even in the ancient world, philosophers would come and they would speak only to men, husbands, fathers, and masters. They would not speak to women. They would not speak to slaves. They would not speak to anybody that is not a Gentile. There was a transnational aspect to the synagogue community, a transnational aspect to the Roman community where they declared that Caesar was Lord. And here it is, Paul is declaring that Jesus is Lord, but he is also saying it by bridging people together. Beloved, prophetically, what that says to a church like downtown keep doing the work because in the ancient world what they were doing in Colossae was not heard of 
It was unlikely to give dignity to people who were seen as second-class citizens. We are a church that is intentionally trying to be, and I use the word cross, ethnic, cross, class, cross, generational, for the fact that if we don't understand each other here as Christians, how are we going to understand each other outside this world? And Paul is saying, I give thanks because some of y'all have loved each other despite what you look like, despite what, can, what the culture is saying, despite the distinctions above you, despite the divide, you love one another. And then there's an the international or foreign missions aspect to this. That when you love each other, you love globally. I always think about this idea that we have brothers and sisters that are across the globe and sometimes if we just think to pray for them or we just think to call on their names missionaries that we support, it will encourage the way we think about people that are in South Africa, people that are in the Middle East, people that are in Asia or in the, 10, the uh, 1040 window, the 640 window. Uh, I hope I'm saying it right. 1040 window. It will help us understand and see those people, our family and our people there. Why? Because we're knowledgeable about what they're going through. How many times do we come in here loving each other, trying to understand what are you going through? What have you been through? What is your narrative? Who are you? Or do we oftentimes come here only looking to consume something? If I can just get a word, if I can just get to worship. But I'm trying to have, uh, I think Paul is trying to have the community, but then also through his word, he's trying to have the modern church understand this deep connection that love brings with each other, that it also helps us to strive and work together, to be of one mind together, to go and endure and share in suffering and share in joys with one another, to be comforted by what you go through. If somebody told me their testimony, you know how powerful it is for me to hear how God has comforted them through their afflictions, for me to be comforted in a time of my afflictions we ought to be encouraging each other deeply through our testimony deeply through our passions we ought to be loving each other it should be a family reunion that calls us together see our vision at downtown church is to be a new community we exist to be a new community new humanity a new creation by radically loving Christ and radically loving neighbor. The modifier is radically. We're doing it different from any other individual in this world. Then the world would do it. The church should be doing this this way. Every time we come together, it should feel like a family reunion. Then when we walk in here, you ever walk to a family reunion? Okay, particularly I have not been to any of my Asian, uh, white, or Hispanic brother family reunion, okay? But I'm going to tell you, I've been to my black folks family reunion, okay? You know when you walk into a family reunion, you know everybody in there, and then there's the uncle that's there, huh? He doing the same dance, somebody on the DJ playing the ones and twos, or somebody got the Apple, iPad, I, I, whatever. The generations are different, everybody is arguing, somebody saying somebody, somebody playing spades, dominoes, somebody barbecuing, the food is good, everything's flowing, you love it, next thing you know the music come and then you doing an electric slide, you know, somebody line dancing probably, that's probably some line dancing or whatever, you probably doing the, the oogie boogie woogie, the wobble, all of that, why? Because you enjoy the presence of each other. And the love that you have one another goes far beyond, not because you're coming from all of these different backgrounds, goes far beyond. I gotta, I gotta move on. I gotta move on. Hope in Christ. And I gotta move on 
Hope in Christ should be unshakable. This faith that Paul shows is that you have love, you have faith, and you need hope. Why? Because it is certain. It's the most certain thing that no other religion, no other theory, no other thing on earth can offer you this level of certainness. And it's not an optimism. It's for sure. Our hope in Jesus Christ is not just being optimistic. Oh, I just hope this is going to happen. No, we have a certainty of what is laid up in heaven for us. And Paul is saying that same thing. Many of us are motivated by hopeless things. Which then are shakable. But when you're motivated by gospel things, they very much become unshakable. Knowing the inheritance that we have as a community helps us to steward the relationships we have with one another. Do you understand what I'm saying? Paul says this in, in Corinthians just a couple minutes ago uh, when I read in verse 7, our hope for you is unshaken. This hope is deeply connected to their eternal hope. So then you know what Paul is saying is the faith in Christ, the love for all the saints, and the heavenly hope is the three elements that we need in our community and we need in our personal lives. Why don't we have it? Why don't we live as fruitful Christians that have faith in Christ, love for one another, and hope in heaven? Then lastly, the second point, a fruitful Christian is to grow in truth. A fruitful Christian is to grow in truth. I want, you to under, I want you to just highlight in your Bible a couple things. Highlight in your Bible the word of truth. Highlight in your Bible heard as he said it three times. Heard since we heard. You have heard. And then you look at verse, uh, bottom of verse 6. Heard it and understood. Also, you have learned in verse 7. When we see this, what Paul is making the connection upon is that there is a deep sense in what the word of God is connected to. I mean, the, the preaching of the gospel requires words. The preaching of the gospel requires words, but it doesn't require you, but it just requires God's words. You are a vessel. We are vessels. So what's the, what's the deep connection here? Is that I'm going to make this very practical. Sunday school. Community groups, making worship primary in your life. How else are you going to hear the word? Oh, I know how. We go on YouTube, Bedside Baptist, podcasts, uh, our best favorite preachers, our best favorite sermons, our best favorite every. But that does not connect you deeply to the body of Christ. It does not help you to grow in truth when you're not challenged in community with one another. And this is what you see, especially because we don't know who you're listening to on that podcast. We don't know who you're reading. We don't know if it is sound doctrine. You may not know. How else will you know? Affirmed by the body of Christ. If we go through, if we go through 1 Corinthians, be there. 845. If you're not in community group, find one. The Haven is just about to start in October. That's a bunch of people out in White Haven, South Haven, East Haven. They're about to do the thing out there. But we also have other community groups. And then also make a deeper sense of connection amongst fellowship within community groups. Community groups that are in close proximity with one another, you need to be taking time together to get and connect with one another, especially so you can experience the diversity that you have in each one, one another's groups. 
You should make that an intentional effort. Community groups are not cliques. Here is the thing that I want us to understand that it means to buy in Christ. And I'm going to illustrate it through John 15, 1 through 5, where he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is making it clear that in John 15, 1 through 5, that he being the true vine means that you must abide. And thus, if you abide in every other thing in culture, primary, supreme, right? In doing that, and you're attached, do you bear fruit? And you're detached, do you bear fruit? No. Paul, uh, uh, Jesus makes it clear that you need to make sure that no matter who you are through a mature Christian life that is being transformed, you need endurance. Your character has to change. Too many times we're trying to sell people on the gospel, but the gospel doesn't sell people, it changes people. We should not try to sell people by this. Why? Because God uses the weak to shame the strong, the foolish to shame the wise, and he uses those who have no dignity. He gives them dignity, worth, and value in order to be fruitful Christians, beloved. Why is that important? Because the very vine that died for us is the very vine that we partake in. And his body and his blood was shed for us so that we may know him in a deeper way. The fact that you come forward in communion is not just a logistical thing. It's this idea that you are always coming to Christ, feasting on him, because he's the very thing that you need to be in in order to be sent out. If we don't attach ourselves to him, to his work, to his body, we will die as rootless, fruitless Christians. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you help us to continue to love you and abide in you so that the fruit of our lives is not found on a shaky foundation, but a firm foundation. The solid rock in which we stand, Lord, is one that helps us and gives us assurance from this day to all eternity. So I pray that your people are encouraged by your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said together.